open up your Hello everyone! Welcome to the Bad Apple Book Club. I'm Lucas Nord. And I'm Cole Lang. And Cole Man. How are you? Doing just fine over here. Uh part three. Very excited for this part one. Three. You know Me too. It's uh it's a good day to uh talk about Frankenstein. Yes, it is. Um, If I may jump in here real quick, actually, I feel like it's a wonderful day to talk about it because I got out of bed. It must be 45 or 50 degrees out today, and, you know, we're used to the real frigid cold. So I I decided that the weather is so nice and wonderful that I'm going to finally go talk to that family I've been stalking for months. Just because, you know, the the snow is melting. I've been watching them through a crack in the wall for months and months and months, learning how to communicate and stuff like that. So I just think it looks like the perfect day for that. I guess I don't know how the weather is over there, but... Yeah, yeah, this uh, lockdown over here has got me forgetting how to interact with other humans. Uh, <laughs> so I've been watching my German neighbors and seeing how they do things, trying to pick up the language... It's really hard, really hard language. So, is German a notoriously difficult language to learn? Yeah, I'd definitely huh. say so. Yep. Huh. Yep. Well, like uh, like you said up top, we're back to discuss part three of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, a book you know not unlike any other that I've ever read in the way that I'm completely surprised with how the whole thing goes. But this is the grand finale here three parts each one of them filled with you know just all sorts of crazy stuff so yeah i'm very excited to talk about it can you uh give me a little bit of a recap for part two you want a little bit of a recap for part two yeah just to refresh my memory just a little well basically actually i'll do you one better i'll give a brief recap on part one two being that We're introduced to a man named Robert Walton. He's up in the Arctic, and they're frozen in place in the ship, him and all his crewmates, and they see a huge guy go by on a dog sled one day, which is just weird. Then the next day, there's a guy who's clearly following the large man from the day before, and it turns out this guy is um, Victor Frankenstein, and he, like, created a man out of dead flesh and it's a hulking man and he's strong and he's fast and they completely well I don't know that they part ways but Frankenstein is so terrified by his own creation that he leaves it be and in part two we learn what the monster was getting up to in his free time being um, as I said up top you know he's watching this family through a hole in the wall, learning the intricacies of language and human nature and stuff like that. But as we discussed, he reaches his hand into the fire a little bit and the warmth feels so nice and comforting, but he just gets a little too close to those embers and it's an immediate burn. And that's just how his entire existence is doomed to play out. He was given this soul of a gentle creature but he will just never be understood by anyone and he terrifies any he sees even though he swore off humanity in part two 
he told that to Frankenstein, and then he immediately saves a child that fell into a river. So he's like, like I said, he's still got a very good soul, but it's just, it's complicated. He didn't give up yet, quite yet. And I, I don't know. I, I see Frankenstein as more of an Icarus figure where he flew too close to the sun. He should have stayed in his lane. You know, the the villagers, yeah. they don't want, they don't want all those, uh, the flesh worms in their presence, no. you know? Yuck. Uh. But yeah, basically, at the end of part two, after telling Frankenstein his entire story, the monster says, I will stop wreaking vengeance on you because he'd already killed Frankenstein's younger brother and a friend of the family by proxy, pretty much. And he says, I'll leave you be but you gotta make me a, a lady monster and we're gonna go off into the deserts and we're gonna live away from humanity for the rest of time and Frankenstein agrees to the deal. And that is where we left off. Oh yeah, just build build me a girlfriend, you know. Yep. Yep, every, every man's wish, you know. <laughs> he doesn't want to put the work in, this Frankenstein, no. <laughs> this uh, monster. Uh, yep. Yeah, so, yeah. Very good recap. Without... Thank you. Um, without further ado, Cole, were you ready to just dive in? Oh, yeah. Let's get into the epic finale. Oh, yeah. After parting ways with the monster, Frankenstein sets off to pursue his new task. Noticing a constant melancholy in his son, Alphonse asks if Victor's source of misery is his eventual marriage to his sister cousin Elizabeth. <laughs> no actual blood relation, but... Um, Victor refers to her as his sister and his cousin at separate points, which, I mean, once again, even if the blood relation isn't there, I'm still not sure that I would personally want to marry someone that I grew up with for my entire life. Well, that, I don't know. that's the thing. I think uh, Papa Frankenstein here is like, now, did I push you a bit too hard on marrying your, your sister here? Is that your source of misery? <laughs> 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 is that not... Good enough for you. <laughs> yeah, right? Uh. Victor assures his father that the marriage will bring him happiness. Excited, Alphonse suggests they marry immediately, though Victor swears that he will not commit to the union until his work is done. And he gets his father's permission to travel to England, mm. which he heads to with his good old pal, Henry Clairval. Growing restless while he still has a bond to the monster, Frankenstein separates from Clairval in Scotland and retires himself to a remote island off the coast to create monster number two. Ooh. Like riding a... <laughs> Like riding a bike, Victor begins work on the new creation and is often split between sinking all his time into it to, you know, get the awful work over with and avoid, uh, avoiding it entirely because he actually knows what his results will be this time around, even though, if I may say, he created this thing and it's intelligent and stuff and he's a little harsh on it, I think, like he's always calling it a daemon. Yeah. Which is just, a, you know, demon, but he's got an A before the E, and I love that. This wretched demon. Yeah, he's, uh, you know, kind of the way I feel about calculus. You know, one day I'm just going ham for hours, and then I just put it off, and 
because it's terrible it's uh you know it, it could it's a monster within itself i, I believe math hard but i i think uh you know, I've been to close to this region in Scotland, uh, maybe about like 30, 30 miles away. And yeah, it's eerie up there. It's very eerie. Awesome. Reflecting on his work one night in the lab, Victor begins to have second thoughts about his new creation. He has like a, a sudden moment of clarity where he realizes that even though the original monster is eloquent, as we've talked about, and can be reasoned with and everything, he thinks that this time around, this one could just raise right off the table, pissed at humanity without having to go through the same, you know, um, fall from grace, I'll call it, of the original monster, and he's worried that this thing's just going to spring right up and take it out on humanity right away instead of being able to be reasoned with like the original monster well he's he's also very scared that they're gonna start their own race uh, which what does that say about how i read this book when i'm like oh yeah of course you know you could just create a human being with electricity and dead flesh but then when he talks about them creating a race and having kids i'm like all right, this is getting a little ridiculous, <laughs> yeah. buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Victor might be playing God here at this moment. Yeah, too. right. Yeah. Seeing the monster through his window, being filled with rage and hatred for his little baby, Frankenstein rips the new creation apart. Um, oh, my God. My jaw hit the floor when I read this part. Uh, he's just No like, bride of Frankenstein. Yeah, he's like smiling at him he's like oh very good yeah that's a nice that's a very nice long leg right there <laughs> yeah good choice on the legs Ooh, that head might be a little bit big oh. though but that might just be me yeah we could shorten up the nose a bit too uh, there, Victor. <laughs> moments later the monster gently enters the small shack and swears vengeance on frankenstein and everything he holds dear since he's cemented the monster's lifelong solitude with this act, and as the monster leaves, he tells Frankenstein, I'll be with you on your wedding night. <laughs> as your best man. <laughs> yep. And see, here's another interesting thing, actually, now that I think about it is, well, I had thought about it before, but the monster just watched any chance he had for happiness get ripped to shreds in front of him, which is really gross, but... Um, the book makes sure to mention that he enters the shack, like, very quietly. He doesn't storm in, he doesn't kill Frankenstein right away, he doesn't even show any immediate signs of violence, which could show that he does have a gentle soul, or that he's a little more mature, cunning and calculated than fueled by pure rage, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I think he, he realized that, um... You know, if he's going to live this life, he's going to make sure Victor is going to go down with him, you know. Oh, man. Yeah, but the big, the big battle is going to ensue here. Ooh. Receiving a letter from his friend Henry detailing his boredom stuck in Scotland, Victor packs up all his equipment and the remains of his partial creation. Loading the instruments of his deeds into a small boat, Victor rows himself into the Atlantic Ocean and waits for a cloud to pass over the moon so that he can dispose of everything overboard. Being the body parts. Yep, he right. loads up all of his lab equipment and the 
remains of 20 females, I guess. It never specifies one time how he gets these body parts. And of course, you know, I think in the original movie, I I never finished it, but I remember that beginning scene of him grave robbing or whatever. But I assume that he robbed a bunch of graves and now he's just on top of defiling these corpses in the first place now he's just getting rid of them because yeah he he loaded it up with all of his scalpels and his forceps and he's just tossing them into the ocean you know out of sight out of mind yeah i think it's you know if this is just a wild guess but the book probably would have gotten an explicit label on it and that just would not fly in the times you know if if they actually mentioned grave robbing and doing all that nasty stuff and, and nobody honestly would touch it sometimes you know um things are better left up to the imagination yep yeah yeah that's true exhausted victor decides to take some time to rest on the calm water but wakes to find himself further from the land than intended Fearing for his life, he eventually makes his way to an unknown island and is relieved to find local inhabitants, but the tides turn for Victor when he's immediately apprehended by the men and framed for the murder of a young man recently found on the shore. Uh-oh. He just cannot catch a break. No. Oh, man. <laughs> now these are going to be some angry townsfolk. <laughs> Victor is brought to the sympathetic Mr. Kerwin, who hears out Victor's side of the story, even though the odds are clearly stacked against him, being that the body was found the night before, and they saw someone in Victor's boat take off that night and leave. Um, Mr. Kerwin, he's like the judge... Or... I'm not sure entirely who Mr. Kerwin is. In the book, he's just kind of stated... Well, I mean, from what I remember, he's just kind of stated to be like an authority figure. I'm not sure if he's like the chief of police or something like that. Pull but either way, he's the guy calling the shots. Oh, okay, okay. Victor is led to the body of the young man by Kerwin and is horrified to find that it is that of his lifelong friend, Henry Clairval, with the mark of the monster's hands around his neck sending Victor into convulsions. Every, or not every one of these bodies, but young William Frankenstein and Henry now both have these big black and blue uh, handprints around their necks because the monster is just so strong that I suppose he just crushes your windpipe for two seconds and you're dead. Yeah, I could see that. But yeah, really starting to show that Victor isn't safe. He's going against this big superhuman mutant, and he's making his life hell. So nobody is safe around Victor, and Victor just keeps on thinking, oh, you know, he's never going to get me, but uh, I think my family will be all right. (laughs) Or or the opposite. He thinks, oh, one day he's going to murder me, but uh, actually he starts picking off all your friends. We'll actually discuss that part a little later on because I thought that um, a specific well part in that was kind of interesting. Victor comes to consciousness two months later in a prison cell, occasionally visited by Kerwin, and says, This suspense is a thousand times worse than the most horrible event. Tell me what new scene of death has been acted and whose I am now to lament. Which makes sense, you know, he's been laying in this bed, he is laying in the bed because he was just, uh, 
well, I guess not just shown the body of his lifelong friend strangled by his own creation, but he's clearly a little stressed out. Yeah. And during his um, time being sick, actually, we'll do a bit of a bad apple callback here. And he did the same exact thing Raskolnikov did, um, pretty much going into fits, you know, probably sick with a fever and all that, and mm. talking about no one can quite comprehend what he's talking about, but he's speaking of his daemon that he created and how it's going to ruin everything, and it just sounds like babble to these people, but it's just, um, I suppose, the work of a guilty conscience. And yeah, like I said, we talked about Raskolnikov uh, being in a very similar situation, laid up in the bed with his friends around, talking about the blood stain on his trousers and you know, the pocket watch and all that kind of stuff. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's good. Uh, reference. Um, yeah. Victor is so similar. Yeah. That, I mean, the slips into just insanity are very visible here. And he, he went from this, you know, scientist with ambitions and to change the world and discover this unknown. And now he's here, uh, just suffering and while you know the monsters on the loose just uh c- causing nothing but trouble so nothing but trouble <laughs> during one of the visits victor's informed that a friend has traveled to visit him and victor is immediately terrified suspecting for some reason that the monster has come to relish in his agony and it's not that I don't understand why he would think the monster would come to do that but it's really funny the thought of like yeah this eight foot tall dude just showed up and said that he wants to come see you (laughs) I I imagine uh, his disguise being like you know the three kids stacked up on each other with the trench coat and uh... fake mustache (laughs) Uh, and A specific quote with uh, this part here actually is, Why did I not die? More miserable than a man ever was before. Why did I not sink into forgetfulness and rest? Death snatches away many blooming children, the only hopes of their doting parents. How many brides and youthful lovers have been one day in the bloom of health and hope, and the next a prey for the worms and the decay of the tomb? Of what materials was I made? that I could thus resist so many shocks, which, like the turning of the wheel, continually renewed the torture. He's just in a real vicious cycle here, obviously, with his, you know, family and friends being killed up to this point. But yeah, we can't discuss enough about how he's really kicking himself in the ass for making this monster now yeah it's like if the monster did come by he'd be like i'm not i'm not in a good headspace right now like (laughs) yeah by another time (laughs) this thing says that you uh created it out of dead body parts (laughs) you know what you know what i'm just not in the mood for this right now no no And even though Victor thinks that it is the monster coming to relish in his agony, his spirits are immediately lifted when it turns out to be Papa Alphonse, who rushed from Geneva to see his son after hearing the news. And Alphonse stays with Victor until Victor's um, court hearing goes through, and he's found not guilty because even though 
he showed up at a very suspicious time when his buddy's body was found dead. They didn't have any evidence that wasn't circumstantial. Yeah, and just the, uh, I, I think the emotional response that Victor had when he found out it was Henry uh, helped out a lot. Right. Another quote I have from this part of the book is, My father was enraptured on finding me freed from the vexations of a criminal charge, that I was again allowed to breathe the fresh atmosphere and permitted to return to my native country. I did not participate in these feelings, for to me, the walls of a dungeon or a palace were alike hateful. Because once again, he's created his own personal hell that is so intense and deep now that there is just no going back for one and for two as long as he knows that this thing is out there that's almost as bad like that quote about him talking about how the suspense is a thousand times worse than the actual act happening just the thought of this monster being out there at any second around any corner near any of his family and friends is just obviously awful yeah I could see that, you know. That's pretty bad. Yeah, I could yeah, see that as being a bit of a bummer. On the trip home, Victor receives a letter from Elizabeth asking him if his melancholy state is brought on by the fact that he loves another, and Victor clarifies to his sister cousin that she is the source of his joy. The letter reminds Victor of the monster's promise to be there at Victor's wedding night, and Victor resolves to put an end to the monster once and for all. You know, and uh, may- maybe Victor should focus a little bit on defense here. Yeah, really on the offensive here. Yes, absolutely. Returning home and commencing the wedding planning, Victor tells Elizabeth that his spirits will lift after their union and that he will also make her privy to a terrible secret only after they're married, which <laughs> Start is a strong. really good... <laughs> A really good foundation for any marriage. You know what I mean? People yeah. are always talking about, you know, uh, you can't build a good union on lies. But no, Victor's like, once we're married, I'm going to tell you something that has ruined my life for years. <laughs> he's like walking down the aisle. He's like, you know, uh, after this, I'm going to have to tell you a little secret I've been keeping. You know, just a little one. Oh, shit, I he's imagine- right there. <laughs> yeah, okay, right? I was just going to say, I imagine him walking down the aisles, and every time someone coughs, he's like, monster! <laughs> he, like, pulls a six-shooter out of his coat or something like that. <laughs> Oh man! <laughs> the monster arrives and he's like, <laughs> he's standing up there with the preacher. He's like, "I'm your best man. I got the ring right here." <laughs> <laughs> the two are wed and make their way to a remote cottage for their honeymoon. Um, and you know, Victor is still thinking about the monster and thinking about his promise, which Victor interprets as, "I'll be with you on your wedding night, and I'm gonna be there to murder you." <laughs> and They're strolling out at night, Victor and Elizabeth, and Victor is troubled by the thoughts of his showdown with the monster, troubling and, you know, disturbing Elizabeth if she's there to see it, which is really funny, too, because would that disturb you, or would you love your husband a thousand times more if you saw him shoot down this Goliath that just popped up out of nowhere? (laughs) Victor, did you make this thing? No, no, are you kidding me? Is this the terrible secret? Nope, I just, yeah, right, like, 
Well, is this the reason you've been checking every corner for the last <laughs> three months? No, no, no. I just, you know, I got like a spidey sense thing. Leaving the house, Victor is horrified when he hears the shrill screams of his new bride coming from the room they'd both been in moments earlier. And this is a part, honestly, when I was like, Victor, you idiot. why did you leave your wife alone? <laughs> yeah. What did you expect? I mean, come on, pal. Obviously, entering the room, Victor finds Elizabeth on their marriage bed with the same mark of the beast around her neck, the, you know, two giant palms and ten fingers imprinted in the skin and black and blue bruising. And Victor informs Alphonse of the news later, and the old man dies, you know, probably being shocked up to heartbreak, just... It's all too much. Yeah, this is the worst honeymoon ever. Yeah, yeah. this is the worst honeymoon ever. But uh, it, it really does show that Victor, he's looking out for number uno. He does not really think about anyone else but himself. So when Frank, when <sighs> the monster said, I'm going to be with you on your wedding night, uh, you know, he's like, oh, you know, he's uh, he's coming for me, you know. But wow. obviously he's gonna pick people off one by one here to make his life hell crazy having taken everything victor held near and dear up to this point he resolves to spend the rest of his waking days in pursuit of the monster Mm. and this is what is so incredible man for some reason i didn't put two and two together even after reading that but it's at this point in the book where we learn that this is exactly how victor found himself in the tundra in the first place because he's hell-bent on destroying this monster and he will not sleep until one of the two is dead yeah. and so yeah the reason that he was a day's ride behind it in the beginning of the book i just figured that victor is just trying to find his creation to well, I didn't know what, but yeah, he's following the monster for months and months, basing everything off of scraps the monster leaves behind, and after doing this, he finds a note from the monster basically saying, Haha, come catch me. <laughs> yeah, haha, come catch me, get some food, and get a winter coat because it's going to be cold. Yeah. Listen, and, have you ever been to Fargo, North Dakota? <laughs> yeah, right? Um... <laughs> And this is exactly what led Victor up to the beginning of the book. I just, that revelation coming through is so crazy, but obviously Victor's hell-bent, and he even talks about losing hope, which is a really common theme in the book, too. But he loses hope a hundred times, and there's a specific part when he traverses a icy mountain and looks uh, onto the horizon and he just sees nothing but open space and you know he's literally ready to just keel over and die until he sees a tiny little stain or a little speck I can't remember how he describes it but he literally just sees one dark spot on this field of snow and he squints real hard and he can make out the stature of the monster and once again this completely reinvigorates him because as we said not only is the monster being kept alive by hate and anger, but this is actually transmuted over to Frankenstein. So they're kind of running off the same thing right now, actually. Yeah, fueled, fueled by hate, you know, and nothing yep. else. Not a healthy way to live your life. 
But honestly, I mean, I can think of worse things to be fueled by, you know? Eh. Like, vodka. I feel like hate's probably better for you to be fueled by than vodka. I don't know. Honestly, though, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. I don't know. We hate is hate is never good, you know. That's definitely true. The control of the narrative is given back to Walton at this point as he continues to write letters to his sister, reflecting on what Victor must have been like in his heyday before having his life destroyed by the monster, because he's even amazingly, you know, uh, we, we keep using the word eloquent, but it's just, you know, it's a good word for one and for two. I think it describes how I would feel about Victor and the monster, because like I said, he's just... Uh, very smart guy and Walton just feels awful at the thought of what he must have been like in his heyday before having everything taken away from him he could have been like another Einstein you know what I mean yeah there's there's really nothing left yep and that's honestly what makes me wonder too I think Victor went off to college I think it said when he was 17 or 18 when are we supposed to assume that he created this monster is my question I, well, I think all of this happened within a year or two, I think. So So are we talking, is he in his early 20s right now? Oh, yeah. Yeah, like we said, you know, he's uh, dipping into that retirement account at this age. Oh, yeah. So, yep. Trust fund kid. Yep. Um, still being frozen in place since the day they'd first seen the monster, Walton's crewmates beg for the ship to be turned around if ever they unthaw from their, you know, path of icy death. They're, they're just, you know, as we talked about in the first episode, completely unintentionally on my part, people were always going north to the Arctic and not coming back because they got jammed in by uh, ice that crushed their ships or just froze them in place entirely until all the crewmates froze to death and it looks like that's the path these guys are going on right now oh yeah and though victor has been emaciated and on the brink of death since the ending of his tale a fire rekindles in his eyes and he convinces the men that the glory of their expedition, uh, expedition should be enough to spur them forward into almost certain death. <laughs> um, he literally hears these guys say, Hey, Walton, we know that you want to go north to find something, but we all enjoy life. So if we could turn the ship around, if we ever unthaw, that'd be awesome. And Victor, literally, he's half dead on this bed. He hears this, and he's like... What are you guys, a bunch of freaking babies or something? <laughs> you, you, gonna let us, you gonna let some icy death just, oh, what's next? You know, are you not gonna, are you not gonna freaking, you know, um, I can't even come up with a good example. I suppose going into an icy crag with almost certain doom uh, being the only thing on the horizon. Bit? Is it. I think it's a good enough example. Yeah. Yeah. Victor should have just been like, "Now listen, I've been I've been doing a little <laughs> bit of research on this new phenomenon my friend Al Gore has discovered and it's called climate ah, change." Ah, yes. <laughs> and we'll be out of this um, baby in no time if we just keep pumping the air with uh CO2, baby. Oh yeah. <laughs> we'll see. 
I'm going to do another callback to the first episode here, and we're going to get into, I guess, something a little more current with that climate change uh, thing you just talked about there. But it's kind of interesting, too, because the Franklin Expedition that I mentioned in the first episode being the the two ships that got frozen in place and the guys just met horrible death, um, they were trying to find the Northern Passage through the uh, Arctic or whatever, North Pole or however all that works. And that um, specific passage was actually only made possible for a ship to go through when climate change melted that ice just enough. So honestly, (laughs) is it all that bad? I don't think (laughs) so. (laughs) (laughs) The men are temporarily convinced by the speech, but they ultimately do end up turning back a few days later towards England. But like I said, this is probably literally my favorite part in the entire book, and it probably encapsulates Victor's spirit as as well as anything else can because yeah he's on the brink of death himself and they're talking about turning around and he's like you're just gonna let a little horrible death you know get in the way of glory yeah <laughs> he probably i'm sure that he thinks that it's better to um die in the face of potential glory than to turn back with your tail between your legs or something yeah, I suppose. as long as walton's like holding his body and his death and he, you know, sees himself as a success. He, he's fine. You know, crazy. it's this uh, crazy determination that we see by, that we still see today. And uh, sometimes and, it just wrecks you. <laughs> and yeah, that part in the book can't be understated either. There are so many times when Victor is literally only fueled by the idea of destroying the thing that destroyed him. Mm-hmm. And higher knowledge. Like, that yep. and higher knowledge is what uh, really destroys him. Succumbing to his ailments, Victor dies. As the ship continues back um, to England, Walton is disturbed to find a noise coming from the room in which Victor's corpse lies. Entering, Walton lays his eyes upon the monster, just as horrifying as Victor described it as, and then some. Attempting to flee from the room, the monster stops dead in its tracks when Walton tells him to stay. The monster spins a tale of sympathy for himself and Victor alike, reflecting on the fact that he was once filled with hopes of happiness that were extinguished by Victor and replaced with rage and hatred and the destruction of monster number two. Um, Which is completely fair. Victor made the monster that was uh, destined to live in complete emotional agony... And the only way that he could, I guess, get back at him was by returning the favor. So they're both just... Little hell. Yep. And I thought this was interesting, too. I was really expecting... I guess I wasn't expecting Victor to kill the monster, but I thought that there would be one last showdown. But he just... This trip to the Arctic, unfortunately, marks his last days because, as we said, he... His last moments of, like, um, I guess I can't really think of the right word for it, but him convincing the ship to move forward is, like, his last, uh, almost like a death rattle or something yeah. like that, I think. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, like, when um, the monster's explaining his tale, you know, he says a lot of deep stuff. Um, and, and, like, one of the things he says is, quote, 
I, the miserable and the abandoned, am in an abortion to be spurned at and kicked and trampled on. So he, uh, obviously, he's just fed up and, because um, Walton, he doesn't know the monster's story at all. Nope. But he starts to hear uh, from this creature that's been through so much, you know, he gets to hear a little bit about his his uh side of the story because victor is probably just like oh he's so (laughs) terrible to me how can he do this yeah (laughs) yeah victor's story is pretty one-sided yeah and yeah that is something kind of interesting too because he pretty much tells walton if you see this thing well for one actually he he wants um Walton to take up the reins and destroy the monster himself since Victor knows that he's on his way to death but he's like if you see this thing you gotta destroy it because it's smart and it's manipulative but then Walton does hear the monster out and I mean I still think that it was unfortunately it just had its um, hand forced you know what I mean yeah the monster tells Walton that he's not to fear the monster wreaking further havoc on humanity and that he's to travel north and light a funeral pyre for himself in which he will burn to ashes and become nothing. The monster leaves the cabin and floats away on a raft into the darkness, never to be seen again. And that is like the end of Frankenstein, dude. Oh, man. Wow. Yeah, just... A crazy showdown at the end there. You know, it's just the monster, he is he's done. You know, he Victor died, so this little game that they've been playing is done, but he uh there's no point in the monster living anymore and Victor he's uh he got killed in the process too, you know. Yep. The monster, technically, I guess, like, he didn't kill his own god, but he got to see it die, and that was enough for him to be satisfied, I guess. Yeah, a little little bit of mixed feelings, you know. A lot of mixed feelings. Yeah, yep, so. Was there anything, um, before we wrap this up, that you found particularly interesting about the entire book, or just part three here? Uh, We'll be back for... A discussion next week but was there anything that was kind of hot off the presses now that we got this thing all wrapped up nicely and stuff hmm it's it's crazy to see how much of a role both characters play in this because you know a lot of you know i'm gonna keep we'll keep going back to this but like right. frankenstein everyone think it thinks it's the monster and uh, people kind of know about the crazy scientist that made him, but Victor plays a huge role in this compared to um, the modern ad- adaptations. Modern, as in like what we hundred years yeah, ago, what we've come to know as uh, Frankenstein. Um, so yeah, I'm just surprised to see um, how much Victor really falls into madness trying to obtain the higher knowledge and how sympathetic uh the monster becomes and it's just yes. unfortunate that i had to come to this hate-filled battle towards the end this almost like biblical you know story and uh yep. 
it's just hate never wins you know if if victor would have just loved the monster who knows Ugh. what that monster could have done he could have been uh this be- wonderful scientist that yep. uh would create just a lot of good in the world he yep. you, you know what i thought i think he could have been i what? think that you know there there's a lot more acceptance for people nowadays and i i think frank the, the monster he could have taken uh not saying andre the giant could have been replaced in the princess bride but i feel like the <laughs> monster could have been playing those roles in those movies you know the the giant and it's just unfortunate that. that uh it had to turn out this way um there was actually something that i forgot to write into the outline that I wanted to mention when we were actually talking about it, but when you were talking about how we see Victor completely fall into madness, um, something that was particularly interesting, I thought, was him talking about after his wife and his dad and his best friend dying, uh, every night when he'd try to go to sleep, he would be stuck in like some haze of delusion where they'd still be floating around him, almost like taunting him and telling him to kill the monster and stuff like that and that's just like uh night terrors every night like i said i wanted to discuss that during the recording but i guess i forgot to put that into the thing <laughs> yeah yeah victor he's uh a little crazy it's a little crazy yeah. towards that but yeah um any any final thoughts for yourself no man um i'm excited to watch a few movies for the episode next week but other than that, I got nothing. Nice. Well, I guess we'll announce the next book we're going to do. Will I, we? The, on this one or the next one? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, it's going to be... We're going to continue this little horror adventure we've been on. Ooh. This little uh, old horror books. And yes. uh, the next book will be... The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. So, Ooh. strap in. It's a, it's a shorter book, but so far it's been pretty good. I mean, I feel like awesome. a lot of people know about the story. If you don't, that's even better. Um, right. You know, but uh, yeah, it's been good. That one, where with Frankenstein, everyone knows that, you know, this guy creates a monster out of dead uh dead body parts um even though that was about as far as my knowledge went with frankenstein i still feel like i knew more about this than i do jekyll and hyde so that'll be a very interesting one to cover yeah for sure i'm excited and i'm excited to discuss this one for sure so yeah yep. um instagram the bad apple book club you just told me a few days ago that we have 2,000 plays on our episodes, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, thank you. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. We just keep doubling those numbers, you know. Next, yeah. Next stop, Joe Rogan. You know? Yep. We said it when we oh, first started, and we're going we're gonna to surpass him one day, I really think. Here we go. Yep. Um, Alrighty. Once again... Thanks, uh, everyone, for listening. Same time, same place next week. Uh, bye. Tschüss.
And then if you have trouble with that podcast, you call me. Of course. You know. Oh, yeah. I can always do nothing with it. <laughs>